Hey, everybody. Welcome to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer. Been a busy week this week. Major League Baseball's in full swing. The Marlins are back on the field. The Cardinals are scheduled to get back tomorrow to obviously very positive developments. But beneath the surface, there's been some negotiation developments between Major League and Minor League Baseball in regards to proposals to realign and reorganize the minor leagues. J.J. Cooper has been on top of this from the very beginning. J.J., Negotiations took a back seat for the last few months just with Major League Baseball trying to get back on the field. Now there have been some proposals exchanged and a lot of developments are taking place. What happened this week? Yeah, it's so the last formal meeting between the two sides is, and I mean way back, April 22nd, which feels like, uh, you know, the way that 2020 is going feels like that happened about seven years ago. But, um, but since then, there obviously have been a lot of uh, a lot of details as far as the 2020 MLB season that, that Major League Baseball's had to take care of, still has to take care of. I mean, the past two weeks, like you mentioned, the Marlins, the Cardinals, that's still, that will remain the top priority for Major League Baseball until the 2020 season is completed, which was after the September 30th expiration of the current professional baseball agreement between MLB and MILB. But this week, on Monday minor league baseball uh, replaced, disbanded its existing negotiating committee, which was comprised of a, a group of MILB owners and replaced it with a new group, a new negotiating committee that had already been established before that as what had been termed a transition team to help with the process. They did that on Monday. And then since then they have presented a new proposal to major league baseball in their attempt to try to get the, the, the negotiations moving along at a maybe potentially a quicker pace. Why the replacement? Why was the negotiating team replaced? Obviously, a lot of this, I, I've been doing a lot of calls. I've been doing a lot of reporting on this. But some of this is piecing together from a, a wide variety of sources. But I, I think that it could best be described as there is, for minor league baseball, there are two competing concerns. And I, I think that those are two very significant competing concerns. There are a group of people in minor league baseball for whom the retaining the independence of minor league baseball separate from major league baseball, having a minor league baseball office, having a group that governs minor league baseball, as they always have going back to the formation of the National Association in 1903, is very important. I would also say that there is a group, I would say a significant group of minor league baseball owners who do not view that as, the most, as one of the most significant goals in these negotiations. And would I'd say, say that it is more important to get long-term stability in a long-term deal with Major League Baseball and assurances, as many teams as they can save, both, both sides of MILB, that's very important, but also assurances that these teams, that these owners own, would have preservation of their franchise value. These are not going to be assets that basically decrease dramatically in value, things like that, that to them are more important. And let's put the third party in this, we have Major League Baseball, who is also obviously a party to these negotiations. And Major League Baseball has indicated quite strongly that it now sees 
governing the minors leagues, them running major league baseball, running the minor leagues as of a significant part of these discussions and of these negotiations. And so that's going to make it very hard for the group of minor league in minor league baseball that wants to maintain independence. It's going to be very hard to, to kind of win that inner negotiation. So which faction did the old negotiation team represent and which faction does the new negotiation team represent? The old team was the group that was looking to get a deal. And if that meant, I, I would say, as my understanding of it goes, if that meant that they sacrificed the independence of the minor leagues, if they let Major League Baseball run it going forward, they were fine with that. And I've talked to a number of minor league owners who say they really do believe that Major League Baseball can run the minors more efficiently, save them money as far as the, what the minor league owners contribute. Right now they pay money to, uh, to basically support the offices of minor league baseball. And they also think that it would generate more revenue that for them because the marketing power, the, the sales power of major league baseball is more significant. The new group, not saying they don't have interest in those things as well, the finances and all, but the new negotiating group, their proposal they have sent to major league baseball includes in it retaining the independence of minor league baseball. So the new group is very much retaining an office in St. Pete and if, if a, if slimmed down, but an, a minor league baseball office that governs the minors is important to that group. So what would be the functional differences between having a minor leagues run by major league baseball versus having the minor league offices still in St. Pete? You mentioned marketing, you mentioned sales, but why is there a faction within minor league baseball that views it as so important to still have its own independent office? Okay, so let me start with, I'll start with, if you're listening to this and you're a fan, I, I don't know if it really would make much of any difference if it's a fan. Like if you're coming to a game on a Tuesday night, I, I don't know if you'd ever notice who's governing, uh, you know, but obviously this is a, a business negotiation. There are significant things at stake here. Well, for one, I'll start with, there are 60 some, you know, 60 plus employees at MILB who, St. Pete, who would be, you know, the starting point is, is they would be out of work likely again, they could be hired by major league baseball, but that's a, a significant group of people who work for minor league baseball who would be likely eliminated, you know, if, if MLB takes it over, um, there are a significant, the, the governance, the structure for minor league baseball of how things are run would likely be different. And what I say by that is, is that right now the governance of minor league baseball is set up in a system in which the power in minor league baseball is pretty significantly weighted to the higher classifications. Triple A has weighted votes. That means that they have more <laughs> political power in minor league baseball than double A, than high A, than low A, just go down the ladder. That likely goes away in an MLB led system. So that's kind of some of one of the other incentives here for some people is, is that in a major league baseball run system, governance really not <laughs> kind of goes out the window a little bit. It's all run by MLB. Now, a lot of the things we're talking about with governance, again, if you're a fan listening, you're going, why do I care about governance? Governance is not just the structure of, you know, okay, the umpire development and resolving disputes and schedules and things like that. But it is also the, the means by which <laughs> right now you have this group that does negotiate. Like, MILB teams always want more games in their schedule and MLB always wants less. You know, we had a, some teams were playing 144. Now they're playing 140. That would go away. If, if MLB is governing it, 
there really is no recourse. MILB owners could say, hey, we want more games, but they're not going to get more games, things like that. There would, there would be things that right now are negotiations that would be kind of MLB decisions, I would say, in a MLB-run system. So theoretically, if MLB says, hey, we're going to focus more on development, we don't want to risk pitcher injuries, we're going to cut the minor league season to 124 games, they could do that unilaterally, and that's what, how the effect for fans would come into play. Theoretically. Now, I'll say with that, everything's about – as I reported this week, there seemed to be – I would describe it as a conceptual framework of a deal getting together between the old negotiating group and MLB – there's a big difference between conceptual framework and actually having everything written down. And, you know, it is possible in a, an agreement either with this new group or with the old group, there is possible that MLB would have an agreement where they say, we promise to play X number of games. And then there would be a protection from that. Like it all comes down to how much have you written down and gotten, you know, written to where you can say, I have this proof that you've agreed not to do this. Now, Anything outside of that would somewhat be within the realm of MLB. However, at the same time, I'd also throw on top of that, MLB does in some ways, you know, like there then comes the question of do they want to be a good partner or do they want to be a, uh, a dictatorial partner? That's going way too far down the road for me to even make any suggestions on right now because we don't even have a deal to know what's going to look like for 2021 and beyond. So the timing of this change is fairly significant. We are less than 60 days out from the expiration of the professional baseball agreement. That's the deal that governs the relationship between the majors and minor leagues to make a change in the negotiating team entirely with less than two months until the expiration of the deal. Oh, it's a very significant change. And it is comfortable to say that it is one that I feel confident in my reporting say it does make it more difficult in the short term to get to a deal. And I say that just from the standpoint of nothing about the merits of the arguments or anything like that. Just simply from the fact that when you have a new negotiating team, how these deals usually get worked out, they get worked out over a long period of months. And there's, it's not starting over. I don't want to make it sound like that in any way, shape or form, but there is absolutely uh you know, unless you're having the worst, most contentious negotiation in the world, when we talk about the MLB and MLBPA, for example, which is a different negotiation, that's a labor negotiation. But when we talk about that, as much as those two sides may butt heads over and over and over, but they also do have a shared experience that the same people have been butting heads over and over across the table for a very long time. And over that period of time, you also, in negotiations, often develop an understanding of what the other side's needs and desires are, and you also develop an understanding of how the other side operates. Well, I, that's kind of gone away a little bit here because you're going to have a new group. Now, some of, the pe some of the people involved in this have been involved before, so I don't want to make it sound like it's completely starting over, but there's 55 days as we record this to the expiration of the PBA, and that's a very short period of time, and there's a, a lot still to be done which we'll get into, I'm, I'm sure, as part of this, because I will say September 30th is not potentially like, oh, everything falls apart on October 1, I should say that. Yeah, September 30th is the expiration date for the PBA. In your reporting, you mentioned that this new negotiating group is seen as 
being more aligned with minor league baseball president, Pat O'Connor, you mentioned earlier about kind of the two factions, O'Connor, the president and CEO of minor league baseball is a big part of the faction that wants to keep the office in St. Petersburg, wants to maintain some sort of independence and control. Is that going to fly with MLB? At this point, from my understanding, my reporting, it's going to be very difficult to see how it does. And I, and I should say here, I mean, let's just acknowledge this is a very uneven negotiation. This is not a meeting of two equals who have the same need for the other one, you know, vice and vice versa. This is Major League Baseball, which I would say absolutely wants and needs some sort of development system. This is minor league baseball. They, at the point we are right now, they not just need major league baseball, but it's really hard to imagine the current format of minor league baseball existing as an ongoing entity without the support, a deal with major league baseball. At the end of this deal, if we get to October one and major league baseball decides we are, the deal is done. We can't get to a deal with this. You know, we're, the negotiations have been going on for, I mean, we were asking about these negotiations two years ago. The negotiations have been going on for a long time. Everyone's long known that this deal is expiring in September 30th, 2020. If MLB decides we're not going to be able to get to a deal and they say we're going to set up our own developmental system, I have very, it's going to be a lot of work for them, but I have very few questions that they would be capable of getting teams, stadiums, everything that they would need to set up a minor league of sorts developmental system, which actually at the end of the day could be almost all the work that they're already doing to put together their idea for MLB governance, 120 teams, realignment, all those things. Those all potentially could fit into that. So given the change. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, but on on the MILB side, if you get to October 1 and MLB says we're going in a different direction, I don't think that there are many MILB teams at all who say, okay, well, we're, we still are, you know, we're still the team that we were. We're going to just go out and find our own players and play our own games. You mentioned the split factions within minor league baseball. The one group that's negotiating now with major league baseball, does this reduce the probability of a deal coming to fruition? The fact they made this change less than two months before the expiration. And as we've talked about, MLB really wants that independence. And that is now the priority of this new negotiating group. I would say at least it is a priority of this new negotiating group, but I would say, yes, that does make it less likely to have a deal. And the reason I say that is, is I'm, I'm, and I have talked to MILB owners in the last several days, a number of them who think exactly that they think that this is, more likely to mean that there's not a deal with Major League Baseball. Um, At this point, if you're MLB and you kind of have already fleshed out a lot of the ideas for why MLB governance of the minors is both beneficial for you and the minor leagues, you are absolutely, you know, probably at least reasonably committed going down that road. But on top of that, as reported today at Baseball America, I have multiple sources who've told me that there are MILB owners who have directly called Major League Baseball's offices in New York and told them, we're not happy with this idea. You know, we, we really thought we, we, you know, this is not the group that really represents our interest and what we want to see in these negotiations. Well, if that's the case, if you're Major League Baseball, 
doesn't seem like a whole lot of reasons why you would need to necessarily budge a whole bit when you understandably think you look at this and say, okay, there may be literally a, a proxy war, a battle for control of minor league baseball's negotiations and, and who runs those. And so that, again, if I'm seeing this, this is not my reporting, I should say, but if I'm just making a supposition, if I'm MLB, I, I probably would kind of let the dust clear on that and see what happens before you really have to make any concessions of any sort. Yeah, that was one of the things from your reporting that jumped out to me the most, that you have minor league owners directly calling Major League Baseball and saying, this new negotiating group does not represent our interests. That's going to be a really, really, really interesting development to watch moving forward in terms of just what this new negotiating group tries to do on behalf of minor league baseball and how willing Major League Baseball is to meet them, knowing that it's a house divided right now. With that, I think the main question is, and it's, it's hard to know because, again, there's a lot that still has to come to fruition here. But what is the end game? You mentioned 55 days from this recording, the PBA expires. Where do we go from here? That's a great question. That's a question I have asked the exact words. So where do you see the end game going to at least 20 different people, I think, over the last few days who are involved in this in some way, shape, or form? And I don't get a lot of easy answers. And I would say that, like, Again, I'm trying to stick with reporting, but I, here's something I've heard from people that they've kind of laid out. There are a, a number of scenarios here. Scenario one is that, the, that MILB sticks with this independence idea, you know, the, the proposal that they need to retain independence, which let me make clear, is the current system. I mean, it is, they're saying that is important to us. We've had that since 1903. We don't want to let that go. Okay, if that happens, my supposition, but I have reporting that says that they wouldn't be shocked. People, a lot of people involved wouldn't be shocked if this happened is MLB says, okay, that's a non-starter for us. That's non-tenable for us. And they get to October one. And then whether it's October one or sometime soon thereafter, after the expiration of the PBA, they decide they're going to go their own way. At that point, they open up applications, many, many, many minor league teams, in minor affiliated teams in minor league baseball then apply to be part of the new MLB run system. And it, that's what happens. No deal happens, but there will still be minor league baseball in 2021 in such a scenario. It would just be under an MLB design system. That's number one. Option two, this ML, MILB ends up basically backing off uh, of this proposal that independence is very important to them. I essentially return somewhat to kind of the frameworks that they were already working with, which is an MLB governed system. It's, it's four full season leagues, but maybe there's still some wiggle room there as far as whether it's 120 teams or kind of some of these interesting hybrid ideas that could ensure that some more short season teams remain in affiliated baseball. The details get worked out and we have a deal either before September 30th or let me make clear, or if they're making progress towards a deal, you could see this being at September 30th, both sides say, yes, we know we haven't had a deal, but we feel like we're getting towards one. And everyone keeps talking and we get to a deal and a ratification some point this off season. I will point back 1990, the two sides had a very contentious negotiation it stretched on not just to September, but it stretched on to December and it got ratified basically at the winter meetings and everyone was all upset at the winter meetings and, but everything stuck together. 
so that's also a possibility. The one thing I will say this year, though, is you mentioned coronavirus. The tricky part of this is, is that everyone I talk to at minor league baseball says the longer we have to wait to get a deal here, the longer we have to wait for a schedule, the longer it is before we can really start selling 2021, which is very important to us, by the way, because we just had the most disastrous season we've ever had because we didn't have a season in 2020. Obviously, a lot of complicating factors here, and I know it's something we're all going to be very, very interested to see. JJ, when this all really started picking up back last fall, when you reported that Major League Baseball was seeking to reduce the number of affiliated teams down to 120, since then you've reported that in an MLB run system, that number could shrink to as few as 90. There's also been discussions for... I should say that, sorry to just make clear. I've had people not from MLB, I want to make clear. I've never heard from MLB that's what they're going to do. I've heard a lot of people who fear, a lot of people in minor league baseball, who fear that that could be a potential. I'm sorry to just... Yeah, no, absolutely. That's an important clarification. Um, But on the other side, you also mentioned there are different forms of proposals and discussions that would ensure more than 120 teams remain. It probably won't be the same 160, but it could still be more than 120 realistically where does this end up in terms of to what degree are we talking about oh teams will be eliminated i don't and i should say affiliated baseball teams will be eliminated now mlb has consistently pre-coronavirus post-coronavirus made the promise as i would describe it that they said that their intent is that these cities emphasis on the word cities they don't say owners they don't say teams but these cities will continue to have baseball their designs are to set up summer amateur wood bat leagues in some cases in some cases it may be joining existing summer wood bat independent leagues it could be setting up uh you know they've talked about a dream league basically for undrafted players there's a variety of options for that but there are going to be teams that are currently in affiliated baseball that are not in this i have not talked to anyone in minor league baseball, any owner in minor league baseball who thinks that 160 teams are surviving this, no one thinks that. Everyone understands that's, that's long gone at this point. And now it becomes, but that's also one thing that's important here. The longer this goes, the harder it is to effectively set up new leagues and all to be successful in 2021. And there's a lot of complicated issues that still have to be resolved with that. Number one being, okay, well, what about compensation? If you have a team that you paid millions of dollars for in current affiliated minor league baseball, are you going to be compensated for your loss or are you going to be basically told, well, that's a risk you took the contract expired. And this was a risk that we all should have been aware of. Things are certainly going to be uh, interesting. And I get the sense that no matter how this turns out, minor league baseball will look very different in 2021. I think that's something we've known in the abstract, but as it's getting closer, seeing how the negotiations are playing out, seeing the differing proposals, seeing the different factions involved, it seems safe to say that minor league baseball, as we think of it today, will not be what we see in 2021. Is that fair and accurate? I think a lot of that may depend on whether a deal is reached or MLB goes its own way. And the reason I say that is, is that the current system absolutely is going to affect minor league baseball. I mean, we're, <laughs> I've never known a time that didn't have short season baseball outside of the complexes. And it's very possible that next year, it's almost, I would say at this point, likely that next year there will not be advanced rookie levels, you know, or short season ball. That said, 
everything that is being done right now in the parameters of a deal does start with a baseline of adjusting the current system. If you're a AAA team right now, you're likely to be a AAA team next year under this system. If you're a AA team, you're very likely to be a AA team next year under the system. Very likely in many cases in the exact same league you are. So if you play in the Eastern League right now and you're a fan of an Eastern League team, you may look at, if they come to a deal, you may look at it next year and go, this seems very similar to what it was last year. As you get down to A ball, there's absolutely the likelihood that there will be more teams moving around. There'll be more reorganization. All that's true. But it does start with a baseline of kind of where they're adjusting. And I would say in this case, MLB really is adjusting, realigning the current system. We get to October and MLB decides we're creating our own system. Well, in essence, that's a blank sheet of paper. And if that's the case, I mean, one thing I wrote about this week is I'm not saying I do not have reporting on this as much as I've run this idea that I came up with by people involved in the negotiations. They say it, it, it seems logical to them, which is you may have independent teams that are great locations, very good ballparks, good ownership. Those are the three things that MLB keeps talking about that it wants. It wants to have good facilities, good ownership, and good geography. Those are very important to MLB. Well, I can right now for you craft a, a Chicago Class A League that adds in the Chicago Dogs and the Schomburg Club and the Gary Club in, with a lot of existing Midwest League clubs. And I could get you to an eight or 10 team Class A League really quickly with very little travel. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but I'm saying I'm not the only one who's noticed that those are possibilities. If, if MLB's setting up its own system, there are not necessarily advantages to being part of the current MILB club. That wouldn't happen right now because those teams would have to pay to be in, to join the National Association. That would be expensive for them. But if MLB is setting it up, there's probably no real difference as far as getting into that new group if you're a current affiliated team or you're an independent club. And there are indie ball stadiums, maybe even some Summerwood Bat stadiums around the country that would fit very well in a situation like that. And then that would be a massive difference, I should say. Yeah, seeing which independent league teams maybe possibly become part of minor league baseball, seeing which minor league teams maybe no longer have the affiliations and have to survive as an independent league team or a dream league team or a Woodback Collegiate Summer League team. I think that's going to be the most interesting thing and also the most apparent thing to fans moving forward. JJ, before we wrap up here, any final pieces of information you think are really, really important to know as these negotiations move forward? I'm going to circle around to be very basic on this because I hear this a lot. One thing I am confident about minor league baseball is not going to die because of this. I should make that. I feel the need to make that very clear because understandably, I know that I am utterly immersed in this. I, you know, this is something that I'm spending a whole lot of time thinking about every day. I understand most people are not. And so I understand if you're a fan and you're a fan of a club, your fear is, is that this is going to lead to the demise of minor league baseball. It may look different. I'm not saying it won't. It may not be minor league baseball copyright, you know, all caps. It may be some different form. But I'll tell you right now, over 40 million fans came on a normal year, not even just one year, but on a normal year, for, not this year, but 40 million plus fans come to minor league baseball, affiliated minor league baseball games. And the system may look different, 
but we're not going to wake up next year and look around and go, oh, we, they couldn't figure out a system for people to play and for families and you know friends and all to come and meet up at a game because that's a system that really, again, coronavirus aside, which we don't, you know, we got to get to the other side of that, but that aside, that's not going away. And I will talk to, I'll point to independent leagues and Summerwood bat leagues, not having affiliated baseball also does not mean that baseball necessarily is leaving your community. And I've had a lot of fun at indie ball games. I've had a lot of fun at Summerwood bat it's baseball. So I do leave with that somewhat positive note. There may still be a lot of things that still have to happen, but we're not going to wake up in 2021 and say, oh, there's just no minor league baseball anymore. There's no development system. That's not going to happen. It may change, but it's certainly not on its deathbed by any means and under any circumstances. JJ, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate your insight. We look forward to seeing all your continued reporting as we move forward here. Sounds good. All right, everyone. Well, that'll do it for another edition of the Baseball America podcast. Make sure and go to baseballamerica.com right now. JJ has all the latest on all the negotiations. It's must-read stuff and very, very important for those of you who care about minor league baseball and what it's going to look like in the future. We also have a ton going on right now related to Major League Baseball. Teddy Cahill and Joe Healy are continuing to churn out content about college baseball and what that might look like in 2021, given the state of everything right now. Carlos Colazzo is looking ahead to everything going on with all the amateur showcases that are still happening. Ben Badler's got his eye on the international market. There's a lot less baseball than we're used to at this time of year, but there's still a lot going on for us at Baseball America. We encourage you to check it out. Once again, for JJ Cooper, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thank you again for listening. See you next time. Stay safe, everybody. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.